and welcome to The Winning Agenda with me, Jesse, and he's bold, he's beautiful, he's Hollis Echo. How are we, Hollis? I'm doing well, Jesse. What about yourself? I'm well. And as a special treat today, we've got our lovable Byroid, Wilfrey Horrig, joining us. How are we, Wilfie? It's really great to be here. That's great. And uh, how are you going preparing for Worlds, Wilfie? I understand you're going along to the World Championships in Minnesota. Yes, I'm flying from Melbourne to Minnesota, which is a very long trek, which will give me a lot of time to think about Netrunner, which is basically what I want to do all the time anyway. So yeah, preparation is going well. I've started testing on Jinteki.net. You might not be able to recognize me because my name is an incomprehensible combination of L's and I's, um, but hopefully that won't be an issue. That's great. And uh, run us through what's the strategy with changing your name to L's and I's. I've noticed a lot of people doing that on Jinteki.net lately. Uh, What's the story there? Well, I think there was a Fizzle AI expose, so maybe I'll, since they seem to be all about having the scoop, I'll, um, we'll link that in somewhere. I think we tweeted it on the account, actually, but there was a very funny article um, where they (laughs) talked about um, using it to protect your identity, which is perfectly reasonable. Um, right. But also making it so that it's impossible to tell who you're playing against and also talking in different languages to confuse spectators. I think that's the whole idea is very funny to me. Would you agree? Oh, that, that's very mysterious. And uh, what about you, Hollis? Have you been on, uh, on Jinteki.net obfuscating your identity as well? I've really just been preparing the same way I always do, getting my friends together, you know, uh, hashing out game after game, hopping on Jinteki, going through gauntlets. Uh, there's a lot of things to test before Worlds, a lot of things I, I kind of need to get a feel for because I think it's going to be present in the meta. Um, I don't really expect to see everything, but I want to make sure I have a lot of bases covered based on like different iterations. So really, it's, it's just that slow, painful slog, that process, you know what I mean? That's good. And uh, of course, I am actually Australian and not British. So shout out to our Run Last Click friends. Um, hey! I <laughs> uh, hope you uh, recognize that it's all in good fun and we, we love your content. We just want to celebrate the way you put it out. Uh, so shout out to you. And in fact, we're going to go back into being all Aussie and American again um, <laughs> and just talking about the corpse side of Escalation, which is what we promised to do. Uh, so the first card in the pack is Fairchild 3.0. It is an ice code gate Bioroid AP six to res five strength. It's in HB. And what does it do? You may ask. Well, it's actually very interesting. It's the first 3.0 Bioroid. So the runner can spend three clicks to break up to three subroutines on Fairchild 3.0. How far can they go with this? You may ask. Who knows? Will we see fours, fives, and sixes? I don't know. (laughs) But what are the subroutines? There's three of them. The runner may pay three credits or trash one of his or her installed cards. The same subroutine again. And then do one brain damage or end the run which is a fascinating choice subroutine for the corp that doesn't come up very often, if it's come up at all before, I'm not sure. Hollis, what do you think of this one? Uh, I would allow it to take me to prom. It is, it's very pretty. Um, I imagine that the, like what it's wearing probably costs at least a couple hundred, um, mm. which means that he respects himself a lot. But beyond just like those aesthetic things, mechanically it's really, really cool because... It's, it's, like you said, it's the first time we've seen a 3.0 ice, and sort of as expected, spinning three clicks to break all three subroutines is probably a no-go most of the time. 
Um, the runner clicks are just extremely valuable with like one click, you know, turning in being uh, like worth two to three credits or, or more when you look at cards like Temujin, things like that, where you get like the run and the credit gain. Um, it's got I a decent like, face check penalty on it, doesn't it? Right. I, I really feel like the runner very rarely will spend the three, cl- the three clicks to get through. I think they'll just basically take whatever the subroutines are. And while the runner getting to choose the trash of the install program is not as good as you getting to choose, the fact remains is, is that, you know, install it's card. still a card. Yeah. It's an install card. It's, it's, it's worth. And the brain damage in the run, that's awesome. Like, the choice is amazing. Mm. Yeah, you can evaluate how important it is as the corp to do something to damage the runner in terms of brain damage is a, is a nuisance. Um, or you can end the run if that's more important, if it's a siphon run or if you are really worried about an agenda being stolen. And having an ice in HB that has a, either a credit or a card destruction penalty for the runner plus an end the run is really, really fantastic because it takes this into the sort of terrain that Ichi was in. Admittedly, it doesn't do the trashing quite as well as Ichi, but certainly that third subroutine is much, much better than Ichi's third subroutine, um, either 1.0 or 2.0. So, um, yeah, I think there's a, a lot to be said for the power of that and of the choice that you get. Wilfie, what do you think? Yeah, I agree. I think that the numbers on this are fairly pushed in that the 3.0 ability makes it really dangerous for the runner to run anywhere other than their first click in terms of being able to mitigate the drawback of spirods you encounter. And the combination of, as you said, one, a face check penalty, and two, the ability to end the run, both of those things together sort of make an ice that's more flexible, that while being expensive, is more flexible than many other similarly costed ice that we see seeing play in food coats or similar HP Glacier decks. Um, just because you don't really need to make the choice between playing ice, which is really bad for the runner to face check, like Architect, or playing ice, which actually ends the run and lets you protect your servers from run events early, like Wall of Static, Bastion, Turing, etc. So this hmm. sort of gives you both at a very reasonable cost. And I, I guess the one drawback is its vulnerability to spooned, but that seems to be getting less and less popular recently. So I would expect this card to be very playable in the future. Yeah, I think six is quite a lot for a piece of ice. Like it's obviously at the upper end of the mid-range ice that you'd consider playing. Um, before you get to the more expensive eight cost dice and beyond. Uh, So you really want it to help you to lock down an important server for at least a turn. I think that's what you want to get out of something that costs you six to res. And this is powerful enough when they're not running on their first click to do that. Admittedly, it does still have the byroid ability of being able to be clicked through and paying six for something that is porous if they're running on the first click can be a little frustrating, which may mean that you have to wait a turn or two to actually be able to res it for maximum impact. Um, and that can be a little frustrating. It can also give them a read that it is actually a fair child 3.0 because you're not resing it on important runs. Um, the other thing about it is that once they know what it is, how easy is it for them to turn it off? The fact that it's a code gate means that it is yogable and it's only strength five. So in a metagame where there's a lot of yog, it's not nearly as good. Uh, obviously, like all code gates, but in any other metagame or, or against any other deck or any other code gate breaker, the fact that it has three subroutines means that it's still a really, really decent tax um, turn after turn, run after run as they're going through it. 
beyond that first time. So I guess in summary, it's a piece of ice that has a really good chance of landing its subroutines the first time you res it, which is good. The subroutines are impactful the first time you res it, not only giving you the choice to end the run, but also doing some damage to your opponent's board and or hand. And it still is quite taxing for everything other than Yogg beyond that. So that, to me, is a pretty good piece of ice. The only downside, uh, as I said, is that for a six-cost piece of ice, not to be able to be guaranteed to secure a server early on because they can get through it if they run on their first click is a little annoying. But, I mean, Turing has that downside, and a lot of people will use Turing to secure their remotes. Though, again, that is a drawback of putting Turing alone on a remote early. What, what do you guys think of that as a as a, a drawback to it in terms of how you play it strategically? I feel like if you compare it to like similar ice that are within the same, like uh, I guess I would say like uh, almost follow the same sort of format. So like the obvious ones to compare it to, you know, when you look at Kogates this size would be things like, um, like a toll booth, um, maybe cards like uh, another one we'll talk about later, which is like DNA tracker. When we look at it that way, it's out of those options specifically, it's definitely less punishing that way. Um, but it feels like it's potentially more or equal, if not more taxing um, later in the game. So basically the ability for the runner to spend clicks to get past it, as well as the lower res cost compared to like Tobu and DNA Tracker seem to sort of kind of balance that out. I think that it's definitely not as threatening early game compared to those other options. Cool. Wolfie, any other thoughts on Fairchild? I don't think so. Cool. Uh, the next card in the pack is Arc Lockdown. It's an operation, House Byroid, cost one, influence two. Name a card, remove all copies of that card in the heap from the game. So this one is really interesting because it, I think, looks a lot better than it actually is. Because you need to have the card in the heap firstly, and then it doesn't even search the stack or the grip for extra copies and remove those. So you have to take a punt on, like, even if you put this card in your deck and you draw it at the right time and they pitch a card that is relevant and you want to get rid of, say, paperclip or clot, something similar to that, that often comes onto the board from the heap, you have to be so sure that they're not playing another one in their deck somewhere when you play this, that you haven't just wasted influence, or if you're playing an HB, a card slot and your time playing this. And that just seems like such a narrow situation to me that that's actually going to happen. What do you think, Wolfie? Yeah, I think the only potential that this card has to be better than other similar cards, like, for example, as a, as a clot hate card, comparing this to Cyberdex Virus Suite, which is you know, has a lot broader application, you would really need to be sure, I think, that you could completely lock your opponent out from accessing plot for the rest of the game, which is fairly difficult given that, you know, once they access this in your hand, they can just plunge it the plot, which is a bit worse because you can just purge. But the fact that I can imagine this just seeing in my hand the whole, for like half of the game before it actually becomes relevant and your opponent can take steps to play around it if they do see it, like just installing their paper clip from hand or, as I said before, preemptively clone chipping. Sure, they lose some efficiency, but I think this card is so underwhelming if it's not just completely doing what you want it to do. Like the situation in which it 
it's actually worth it is very hard to come by, I think. Uh, even if it does seem like that's a powerful ability to have. Yeah, uh, the ability to remove a card from the game is certainly powerful and it can change the course of the game. But yeah, you have to sort of wonder how often that situation is going to come up that it has that effect of effectively winning you the game. And really, given that runners, even if you say you remove one of their breakers from the game and they can't get past a particular ice type, that doesn't even mean game over, even in half of games, I don't think, because there are so many zones where the runner can score from. And you need to, in HB, have ice of that type that they can't click through in order to actually effectively lock them out from a server. So, I don't know, may- maybe in a next deck it could be a little bit more effective if you can get rid of one of their breakers and then have more hard end the runs on relevant servers. But, yeah, I feel like a lot of decks are playing not only a breaker of the, each primary type but also some other way to get past ice, whether it's an AI or, or parasites or something else that... Uh, even in those narrow situations where you manage to hit something relevant, you're probably not locking someone out from the rest of the game, certainly not from every relevant server. Yeah, I would agree there, definitely. The next card in the pack is Hellion Beta Test. It's another HB card, an Operation Black Ops, cost one, influence three. It's a throwback to the Hellion Alpha Test, which is has been widely derided by various panelists and guest panelists on this show as one of the worst cards in the game. So does the beta test get any better? Have they learnt from their mistakes? Let's find out. Play only if the runner trashed an accessed corp card during his or her last turn. Trace two, if successful, trash two installed non-program cards. If unsuccessful, take one bad publicity. Wilfie, what do you think of this one? So... The main thing that sticks out to me is the twofold drawback. Firstly, you can only play it at a narrow time during the game. And secondly, at that narrow time, you have to have functionally more credits than the runner. Of course, you don't strictly need to have more credits than the runner to land the trace, but if you want it to be maximally effective, you do. Um, and so I think that's not great for the playability of any card of course i know that you're going to say like boom or whatever and that means that it can still be playable even if it does have multiple drawbacks but just the fact that while the ability is powerful you really need to have a credit lead over the runner and also they need to play in a way that makes this effective like there's so many ways that they can play around this card by not trashing your access to corp cards when they have less money than you do by not installing programs that they really care about. Like, if you're going to spend all of your credits to kill, like... Oh, no, they're non-programs. Yeah, they're non-programs. Uh, yeah. Right, so installing only programs. Oh, yeah. 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 What I said, I think, hopefully makes sense. Um, okay. So, if you... As a runner, just don't install any resources or hardware that you really care about or install like only one or two so that if they're going to spend all their credits to kill one thing that you care about or two things which you don't really care about, it doesn't seem that great. If you compare it to like All-Seeing Eye, uh, and of course it doesn't have to be as strong as All-Seeing Eye to be playable, but 
just the um, power seems much more subdued, which makes me skeptical given how narrow it is. Well, all seeing eyes already borderline playable, and I mean, admittedly, this doesn't require a tag to land, but and it can hit hardware, which is generally a lot harder for corpse to do to take out hardware. But hardware is also often less relevant to the runner actually winning the game. It's generally a console, possibly a Plascrete. Maybe the console is Nexus and it's a little bit more central. But yeah, I don't know. I feel like runners can, <clears throat> pardon me, runners can still survive and execute their game plan generally without their hardware in a way that makes, as you say, spending all of your money as the corp to land this effect generally a pretty unappealing thing to do. Hollis, what do you think? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree with those points. I feel like the best part about this card might just be uh, its flavor text. I mean, it's it's very yeah, <laughs> it's very niche niche, and like it, the the issue really is just that um, it's it's too specific, right? We see this all the time, where like a lot of times the way they balance cards that have very specific conditions is that the power level of that card is increased. Uh, Wilfie, you mentioned boom, right? Like yep. boom, boom can be trashed and requires two tags, so it's very conditional. But the effect on it is rather large. Um, whereas with this, it has a credit investment. The runner has to have trashed something, and even then, the cards you're trashing are non-programs. It, they could be cards. I mean, the runner may not even have cards that are really even worth trashing. Granted, I, there's an argument to be made that every card you play is a good card. They could be cards that are not integral to the runner's game plan. They don't. They don't stop the runner from doing what they plan to do, just really slow them down. And I don't think for a very conditional card like this, do what I only want to slow them down. If we're comparing, boom, ends the game, game over. And this mm. does nothing. Yeah, so I think that's a really good way of thinking about it, Hollis. Like, what's the resource trade? And I think Wilfie and I both said that in a far more roundabout way, which is as the corp, you're likely to have to trade a significant chunk of your resources that you have available to you at the time to take out two things that may not are probably not integral or integral to the runner's game plan at that time. Right. And that's not, not really likely to be a good trade. And if you can't foresee good trades with a card, you're probably not going to put it in your deck. No. Nah. All right. The next card is a Jinteki agenda. It's called Project Kusanagi. It's an agenda security advancement two score zero. So the first two for zero for Jinteki and only the second one in the game. When you score Project Kusanagi, take one agenda counter on it, sorry, place one agenda counter on it for each advancement token on it over two. Use one of your hosted agenda counters to choose one piece of ice to gain do one net damage after all, other, all its other subroutines for the remainder of this run. So that's a mouthful, but essentially you're, it's got like the Project 3 for 2 cycle that you place one agenda counter on it for each advancement token on it over two. Uh, but you get one counter for each extra advancement token. So it's more efficient than like a beal. Uh, you can use those counters to add do one net damage once to the end of a, a piece of ice's subroutines. Two things to note about this, first of all, I guess, are that it doesn't work on end the run ice because you're putting a do one net run in, do one net damage subroutine after all the other subroutines and they have to resolve in order. Yep. So if your opponent doesn't break the end the run subroutine, then that's not going to fire. So this is obviously tailored towards sort of thousand cuts, 
net damage style decks that aren't using and the run ice in that sort of deck hollis do you think this has got enough teeth uh oh boy or does it have a place i mean it's it's more than just the ability it's an agenda um and do those decks want agendas to forfeit or use as some sort of other currency i don't know what do you think um so, I mean, the best thing about it is just that when the runner accesses it, they basically get no further in scoring. And this, and in, in Thousand Cuts decks that are generally played out of personal evolution, this card counts as a sort of more natural shock, if you will. So, mm-hmm. effectively, the best part about this card in uh, personal evolution, Thousand Cuts decks, would be that, you know, you are you're adding the, the fourth, fifth, and sixth shock potentially in your deck. The abil- and or extra oh. damage from Philotic, I guess. Sorry, is another thing I just thought of. Yeah, you know, yeah, absolutely. Like, uh, in in the case of Philotic uh, specifically, yeah, um, your opponent stealing this plus like House of Knives means that a Philotic score can do a lot. I think that the difficulty here with with trying to judge it just with that in mind is knowing that, you know, Philotic is a one of include in the Genteki deck. So, or in mm. in any Genteki deck. So, I mean, it it's not a consistent goal or strategy to go about winning yeah i mean we have a tutor for an agenda but it's a matter of you know all things considered if i tutor for an agenda or period if i have it i can't guarantee i can keep it safe especially not in 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 thousand cuts builds that really don't have a lot of ice to help them um the over advancement ability doesn't even seem that useful primarily because the the ice it pops in my head that i'd want to use with this would be things like DNA Tracker, um, uh, sorry, DNA Tracker, Komai Inu, Sarugi, and Lockdown, funny enough. Like, those would be the ice that I would consider ever using with this over-advanced ability. And I'd have to be... It's a ballsy thing to do, considering that you would need four advancement tokens on a agenda to score no points to get and add the... to add a do one net damage... So no, you only need three, I think, for one counter. Is that right? Uh, you need That's right, yeah. yeah. Sorry for each advancement token over two. I'm it's sorry. Still a lot I'm sorry. To yeah. Ask, though. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's basically in general scoring agendas for the the corpse should always be moving towards like their victory condition. I'm scoring out. I don't think the net damage potential is good enough to outweigh agenda points in that regard. I don't think. Yeah, so at that point, you're getting an agenda in your score area that's worth zero and one of these counters for spending three of your clicks and three of your credits to score this, plus the click to install. That You have to have some very specific cards in your deck to make that worthwhile. Kamainu that you mentioned, um, Kamainu having an extra net damage subroutine is a kill most of the time, so that is reasonable, unless they're playing iPad worse, obviously. Um, So you could potentially try and build a deck that leverages that. And I'm not sure that Jinteki really has enough ways naturally to leverage a zero cost agenda. You can splash Archer and potentially try and get people like that. I know Archer has always been a decent piece of ice to play in those PE decks anyway, as your lower cost, but beefy heavy face check penalty option. So yeah, I mean, there there could potentially be some sort of deck where this works, particularly Mm -hmm. because you've got the Philotic Entanglement interaction as well as, you know, the Kamainu interaction, the Archer interaction. But, yeah, I don't know. It remains to be seen whether there are really enough interactions that make this worthwhile. What do you think, Wilfie? Uh, yeah, I think that's true, that the 
advantage you get from scoring it to the cost of scoring it is a bit on the poor end of what we expect for card slots. Great. The next card is DNA Tracker. It's another Jinteki card. An Ice Codegate AP. Scary. Res 8, Strength 6, Influence 3. Subroutines all read. There's three of them. Do one net damage. The runner loses two credits. What do you think, Wilfie? Um, so this card is fairly well costed for its abilities. It 8 is probably the top end of what we would want to pay for an ice, even in the slowest decks, just because having an ice which doesn't turn on for maybe the first two or three turns of the game is pretty bad if you're trying to protect against siphon or something. Um, but this card, I think, is about as taxing as Tollbooth is for most Breaker Suites. Um, you know, on average, some are better, some are worse. But the few issues are one that doesn't end the run, which is, you know, not a insurmountable drawback, but definitely makes it a lot harder to build a remote that lets you actually score agendas. So I think this would be relegated to decks which are trying to win in ways other than building a remote, either through fast advanced tools or um, by dealing net damage a lethal amount of net damage to the runner, but eight cost ice don't really fit in that kind of strategy, I think, just because it's so hard to assemble resources that do what, like, assemble resources to do that alternative game plan, as well as pay lots of money to protect the centrals. So I think the card is strong, but I'm not sure at the moment where it has a place. Um, Would you guys agree? Hollis? Um, I feel like, uh, it'd be, following up on some points, you know, uh, that, uh, that Wolfie made, I feel like it being one extra influence does make it a bit harder to splash comparably to, you know, when you look at cards like Tollbooth, um, because, um, I mean, really one single influence can do a lot when it comes down to like, uh, options and filling gaps and, and, uh, oh, particularly and, if you're playing multiples, right? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, like it's, it starts getting kind of ridiculous when you start looking at it where, you know, where you want just one strong code gate and, you know, the elephant in the room to me kind of is like, uh, like Waylon, for an example, right? Waylon probably wants to spend a, a large majority of its influence to fill the holes in ice that it doesn't have, especially in the code gate department. So when I, you know, when you're comparing some options, when you look at this, you're going, all right, well, Toe Booth cost me eight and there's only two influence per, this cost me also eight, maybe more taxing than Toe Booth, but I'm losing two extra influence for that price. I could have three toe booth if I wanted, or two toe booth and some other card that fills a gap somewhere else that I'm, you know, for something that I'm missing, whether it's Ash or Caprice, anything. Um, so I do think that the extra influence cost makes it may, does make it difficult to splash. But now I think that influence is actually worth it because I really do like the card. A six strength code gate for only eight with three subs, it doesn't in the run, but the ability on it is pretty darn taxing. We talked a moment like uh, we talked a moment about Turing 3.0. Turing 3.0 is very you know this Fairchild 3.0, right? Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, Fairchild 3.0. Um, DNA tracker uh, as DNA tracker is always on. It's do this and do this, do this and do this. Whereas Fairchild is one or the other, and it's whatever one is less hurtful to the runner. Um, I don't see a way this doesn't suck 
to get hit by. Because, I mean, losing two credits, always bad as a runner unless you're pretty, pretty much broke. And doing one net damage, three net damage in one go is also really, really annoying. And even if we're assuming ice never fire, because let's be honest, a competitive play, they rarely do. Um, the fact remains is this card is fairly taxing for pretty much every Codegate breaker in the game. That isn't, <laughs> that isn't uh, Deus Ex. And the interesting thing about a piece of ice like this is that when we say ice never fires, it's often because people only play ice that needs to be broken and people generally don't run until they have the means to break ice that they anticipate their opponent will play that needs to be broken. Yeah. Now, this the, the penalty of running into this, the net damage is, uh, can be annoying. Obviously, it can kill them, but generally it's just going to be randomly sniping some cards from your hand that may or may not be relevant. But the losing of credits is what, I think make, gives this card teeth in the sense that it destroys your opponent's tempo. Like six is a lot of credits to lose that can set you back one and a half turns, potentially, depending on how slow your economy is um, or even longer, depending on what you were trying to do. So the the interesting thing for me about this is that the penalty of the subroutine firing is much the same as the penalty of the subroutines not firing most of the time for runners, which is them spending credits to break it. But you're able to force them to do that effectively when they don't even have a breaker out and when they're not even developed yet. And the the effect that a card like that has on the tempo of the game will be really interesting to see. Now, that may backfire on the corp in the sense that you're not... You're just forcing them to really pay some credits and a, a, a... chunky net damage tax but just a net damage tax nonetheless um and yes that can set you back in terms of the cards you have remaining in your hand to then play out so the net damage is relevant there but you're not necessarily getting what you would usually consider to be the boon from raising your ice and having it fire which is stopping your opponent from accessing your cards in and the run or interfering with their board are generally the two effects that you want the most you're just trying to set them back quite significantly on tempo. Um, so do, in that sense though, I guess the ice does the same thing. And what I'm trying to say here is the ice does somewhat the same thing, whether it fires or not, which makes it a bit more consistent. And it means that you can build your deck around the runner just being taxed in terms of cards in hand, uh, credits from losing them through the subroutine or credits or cards to have to pay to break the subroutine. So it's sort of always doing the same thing. And if you can build a deck that leverages that tax, which is quite significant whether the subroutines fire or not, then it will be a good card for you. But as Wilfie said, I think, at 8 to res, that's at the upper limit of what you really want to be investing in a card, um, in a piece of ice that only exists on one server and has all the usual drawbacks of ice. Um, so yeah, it remains to be seen whether the the tempo hit that you're almost guaranteed to do the to the runner is significant enough to justify the investment you have to make in this card. Uh, any final thoughts, Hollis or Wolfie, on that? Oh, no. No. Um, next card is Jinteki Potential Unleashed. It's our Jinteki ID for the cycle. It is an Identity Megacorp Deck 45 Influence 12 again. Uh, whenever the runner takes at least one net damage, trash the top card of the stack. And we've got that sort of circular saw, saw blade image going on there. You can just imagine that whirring away, cutting at the stack, a bit of stack attack. What do you think, Wilfie? 
Um, Blood splatters all over the logo. It's (laughs) Well, I think that... um, Okay, seriously, I think that this card has one big problem, which is that its impact on the game is limited until the runner runs out of cards in their stack, which, mm-hmm. at most, unless you're playing it against Max, if you deal them stack attack, if your stack attack is successful, like every turn of the game, that's going to happen on like turn 6, turn 7, which means that yeah. functionally your identity isn't doing anything to assist you until then. Like, after then, the ability is substantial because it means they literally can't draw any more cards again, but I don't know, given that the early game is so important in modern Netrunner, I don't know how my deck would have to be built for me to accept the fact that even if things are going well, my identity isn't really going to do anything, except maybe help my opponent by getting breakers that they might want into their bin, or things that clone chip into their bin, um for the first, say, six or seven turns of the game. I would say that even if your game plan is going well, your opponent probably has the ability to run, at that point, to run over your servers. Like, they have they've set up whatever they want, and they can sort of mitigate your game plan if you're not really spending the resources to threaten them effectively. By then. So let's say you can do like 12 net damage over the course of the game until they have no more cards in their deck. Then you have to be able to set up something like Neural EMP or Bioethics Association to set up some sort of lock that kills them, right? Yes. Once they've got no more cards in their deck. That's not an entirely unreasonable thing to be able to try and do. But I think the hard part is doing that 12 to 15 net damage that you have to do to deck them effectively like because then you're getting rid of about you know 12 to 15 cards out of their hand plus another 12 to 15 out of their deck then you're leaving them with you know 15 to 20 cards that they are able to play or use and so the issue that you've raised there wilfie sorry hollis just one one last thing is um the issue you've raised there is are those 20 or so cards that they're even then able to play in your best case scenario that you can do the quantity of net damage that you want, which is not always a given, um, are those 20 or so cards going to win them the game? And can you design a deck, this deck, in such a way that that is unlikely to happen? I don't know. What do you think, Hollis? Well, it's, uh, just, to be, just in case someone... I, I, know, I, I know you guys know, but just in case someone listening isn't, needs a clarification, because this came up in my local meta. Uh, it's each individual source of net damage... Um, obviously, there's some finicky things behind, like, Komainu, right? Like, with Komainu, it mm. gets one different subroutine. So, each subroutine of net would trigger the ability. But a snare, you know, you take three net, you only really take one from the deck. So, yeah. in addition, it's, you know, like, so basically, the, the way I like to, like, look at it is, I think the number you, you gave out was, like, 12 to 15 net damage. Think about it, like, 12 to 15 net damage sources. So, yeah, yeah 15, 12 to 15 different cards have to do net. Even if we start... And like a base calculation of saying... Or different instances. So go, yeah. go back to your Kamino example. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, different instances. It could be four or five off that. Yeah. Right. But if we look at like just Snare and Shock, it's like, well, even if they hit all three if, you have three, if you have three in your deck, of each of those in your deck, if they hit all three, right, that's six. So ultimately you've trashed six cards from the hand and then six cards on top of the deck. Here's what is weird to me and, and why I'm going to actually just say I don't really like it very much. Um, I think it's powers under the curve. Um, 
It's because if you look at the way, like a lot of the wind, con- like if you look at the way uh, wind conditions are in the game right now, um, number one, a lot of runners have a fair amount of recursion. And we're also seeing now Anarchs are getting a rig that pretty much plays directly out of the discard pile. So that's dangerous. We have shapers that have clone ships. So that makes putting things in the discard pile also a bit dangerous. Um, if I look at like uh, personal evolution, the way that works is, is it says, are you actively attempting to win the game? Okay, well, by actively attempting to win the game, um, you're going to lose uh, cards from your hand. That means that the instant win cards I can play. So the Ronins, the uh, the Ronins or the, the Snare that you would hit or the Squish Earth, you have less than the necessary cards in your hand, so I win the game. It seems less likely that you'll win off of milling the runner because the runner doesn't really... <laughs> The runner doesn't lose automatically when they run out of cards in their deck. They all have recursion options. They have levy, which shuffles their entire discard pile back in their deck. So this whole game has to be replayed again. Um, and then on top of that, any meat damage, or excuse me, net damage prevention at all, any any prevention at all, effectively turns this ability completely off. Whereas with like PE, like if you have uh, if you have the cards that prevent net damage, you might rationalize going ahead and taking the net because it's just one single car they need a bigger setup in this case if i'm looking at a crim with no breakers that crim's just going to hold back and which point i'm asking myself can i actually score jenna's out in this process i don't even think jenteki has that as an option can jenteki do that when was the last time besides rp like besides glacier when was the last time jenteki scored agendas and won this way yeah, so, I mean, the, the, you've touched on some really important issues there, Hollis, and one is that this doesn't really interact on a level that challenges the runner, and this is what you raise as well, Wilfie, until it reaches that end point. And saying to the runner, I invite you to try and race me, and I'm not even, like with Argus or PE, putting an additional roadblock and a tempo hit that's going to stop you from racing me. Yeah, I'm just going to make it, make the race shorter in a sense. I'm not going to make it harder. I don't know whether that's a good enough thing for an ID to do. Yes, you already have cards jet naturally in Jinteki that make the race harder, but they're not good enough on their own to stop the runner from winning the game. This ID isn't adding anything to them, and so I therefore don't think it's good enough. Would you say that sums it up, Buffy? Yes. Or, yeah. You know what would like really um, blow my mind with this card is kind of, I think? If... Uh... For example, you know cards like June, like Junebug, right? You put advancement tokens on it, and they take net damage equal to the number of advancement tokens on it. What I would like is I would like, and if like I would even give this card a bit of an elevation in how I can how I raise it, like how I judge it. If there was a card that was not ice, an asset or an upgrade or what have you that can be advanced, and every source of damage it would take was a separate source of damage, so that it wasn't as easily mitigated. Like because I, mm. I feel like I feel like ninety five percent of the time, ice and netrunner don't fire. And if that's the case, like if, if it's a scenario where maybe ninety to ninety five percent of the time ice is not firing, right? Then that means that you directly have automatically cut your net damage resources in half. You are only depending on assets. And if that's the case, you might as well just have an asset that like gives you a net damage like on a per uh, net damage from just multiple different sources or something. I, I just, it feels, it's just not very good. I don't know. I'm, I'm very, no, I don't know. The words escape me. I just cool. don't think it's very good. No, make, makes sense. Uh, we might move on on that note to 
Alexa Belsky. Uh, it's a, an NBN card, an asset character, res 1, trash 5, influence 2. Good res to trash ratio, not too much influence. Trash, shuffle all cards in HQ into R&D. The runner may pay any number of credits to prevent one random card in HQ from being shuffled into R&D for every two credits spent. Oh dear. Hollis, what do you think of this one? Um... Well, it's yellow, and it yes. has a five trash. Yes. Um, and it looks like we're expected to use tools like these when we when Jackson rotates. Mm-hmm. I would not. I don't. No, I would not play this. And the reason why I wouldn't. Why, why should the runner be able to interact with me when I'm doing my Jackson? Why? Thing? Why? 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 Why would? Why would I ever do that? Um. So, I think my issue is that it's a card at, I don't know. Give me a second. Yeah, Um, like, okay, Wolfie, what do you think? Okay. um, Does the fact that they can stop you from shuffling in some of the cards you want to shuffle in make this unplayable? Yes. I don't (laughs) think it's necessarily just that, though. I think that the main issue is that Having a card that only, as I said with, um, the card, not election, the NBN election day from the last pack. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. I'm sure you guys remember the name of that one. Um, yes. The, I think most people refer to it as the NBN election day. So that's yeah. fine. <laughs> um, as in you're the only person who's ever referred to it and that's what you refer to it as. So yes. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, my point was that. Uh, <laughs> shuffling all your cards in HQ, from HQ into R&D is a fairly coarse effect to have. Like, it doesn't really replicate Jackson in that Jackson lets you sculpt your hand when you're looking for things to advance your game plan, and it also lets you um, get rid of agendas, you know, uh, flush agendas from HQ to R&D without losing the um, ice operations, etc., that you want to play during the game. This card sort of does the same thing, except it gives the choice to the runner, which is really not what you want to do about that. Um, so I'll, I'll pose you this question. Two questions. Will sure. be. Firstly, um, why would I ever play this over Corporate Shuffle, seeing as it functionally does the same thing but doesn't draw me a new hand? Um, I don't know. Well, maybe if you... Uh, yeah, I, I don't know why I'm being forced to defend this card. I said, I agree with you, right? Yeah. Secondly, um, why does this cost one to res when Jackson costs zero to res? Um, because I think they've learned their lesson from Sensi that they shouldn't give any MBN any assets which do anything relevant and cost zero. Okay. Hmm. Um, I think Thank you. That, Thank you for clarifying those points. No worries. I think that might be all that is necessary to talk about this card. I agree. The next card is another NBN card. It's a zero-cost operation gray ops, cost zero, uh-oh, influence one, <laughs> uh-oh. Uh, play only if the runner has fewer than six credits. As an additional cost to play this operation, remove one tag. Trash one installed card. So that is, I'm not sure if it's the first time that we've seen that on a corp card, probably the first time we've seen it on a corp operation, that ability to just trash one installed card, no questions asked, bang. Um, Two limitations on this. 
neither of which is play cost, which is zero. So that's a good thing as well, I guess. But out of those two limitations, the both of them are things that you can work around, I think, in that if you play this with closed accounts, you can get them below six credits and you can also presumably have them have a tag at that point. But then unfortunately you're removing one of those tags. So in that situation, it's a little bit annoying and you're probably removing some of the um, reason that they may want to actually worry about being tagged and generally tags, giving people tags has such a cost and comes at such a premium that if you're going to remove them, you want it to be a massive effect. So yes, there is a situation, you know, when they're tagged, you play closed accounts, you get them down to zero, then you play this um, and you trash one of their installed cards. That's all good. Then what, what's happened? You've left them on zero credits with one of their installed cards in the bin. So that installed card had better have been really, really important at that point. And you'd better be able to leverage that sequence of plays into getting really close to winning the game. Can you see yourself doing that very often, Wolfie? Um, As in winning the game from that point. Is that installed card important enough that you want to play this card? frequently. I would say that most runner decks are fairly um, redundant. Like, they have lots of redundancy built into them, usually, which is another thing yeah. that we talked about with Arc Lockdown. Um, the main yeah. use I can see for this card is if they're tagged and you have closed accounts, then you can kill Plaskrit or Sport Topper, um, which is, I think, a, a, is a niche situation, but it is worth noting. But I think just in a regular game, um, the restriction that they have to have fewer than six makes it not good for the sort of score, install, breaking news, ne- never either never advance or fast advance, breaking news, and then play a tag punishment card. That sort of the uh, play cost restriction, the, or the play restriction, um, where they have to have fewer than six kind of makes this a little um, not as useful as I would like. And I'm skeptical of tag punishment cards that aren't useful in multiple situations. Like, Psychographics, I think, is already a bit narrow, and that has the potential to win win the game by itself. And Mm -hmm. this, I think, Mm. is far worse in that respect. Cool. Hollis, any thoughts on that? Man, yeah, this is definitely, like, to me, like, the sort of real talk for, like, NBN. Like, they have... Within their arsenal, they have tools like Wolfie said, like Sucker Graphics to directly win the game. They have tools like All Sing Eye, which can kill our resources. If we didn't want to use that, sorry, and it requires them to be tagged. Um, and if they didn't want to use that, we have a resource called we have a resource destroyer called Freelancer, which also benefits if the runner's tagged, killing two resources. So when we're looking at just resources alone, that's covered by MBN. MBN does this. If we look at um, credits, we have closed accounts. MBN does this, which pretty much to me. Uh, means you're only really caring about hardware and programs. Now, sure, those are great things to trash. But here's a question, Jesse. I have a question for you. If you're playing mm. a deck, if you're playing a deck that relies on uh, making sure the runner is tagged, I want you to name a staple piece of ice that probably goes in your deck. It's super data raven. Perfect. So data raven's in there. So th- so when they encounter data raven, they have to take a tag, right? They have to just to yep. get past it. So my question is, what? Okay, so my question is, what would stop me from playing Keegan Lane in the server they have to get to, where I get to destroy the program from the tag they have to take, versus using Observe and Destroy to destroy the program instead? The difference is here is that it's only a piece of hardware. So then I have to ask myself, is the ability to kill hardware 
that much better than killing a program. And it's almost absolutely not. Like, okay. I, I just, like, the, the, even in circumstances where the, the ice itself come back into play, most of the time that breaker cost equal to or more than the hardware. And at that point, all I care about is attacks. Uh, sorry, just on on that Hollis, I think obviously with Data Raven, Keegan's a better combo, but with the proactive tagging cards, Keegan doesn't necessarily work at killing the program at the moment you want. So the the one example where I think this card can be really relevant is killing Magnum Opus after you closed accounts, because that can stop them from recovering. And that is sort of relevant in this meta. Um so that's probably the one installed card that if you kill it straight after you closed accounts, you can really open scoring windows for yourself that otherwise would have been closed. And of course, I reckon, what do you think? Well, I mean, yeah, well, I mean, no, I agree with that. But then the other, I guess the other side of that coin is I'd have to be able to successfully close accounts them prior to me mm. being able to play this card. So it's basically like mm. in that scenario, that's a much better, like that's a much better reason to have observe and destroy. But if, if I can't, it sucks. It's like, if I can't, if I can't actually close accounts to them because they have almost, you know, practically infinite money from Magnum Opus, I can't actually use mm. the card. So it's yeah, it 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 feels it's a, a three card combo at that point. Yeah, like your tagging card, then closed accounts, then this. Yeah, like yeah. It, it it I can see where maybe it fits some sort of slot. Being one influence, maybe they intend for it to be used somewhere else. But NBN is the tagging corp. I mean, you're you're not going to find a better way to tag the runner other than you know out of side you know outside of NBN. So. Uh, I have no, I, I don't see myself really ever slotting this over any of the existing options, especially if I'm looking at like resource and credit, like denial, you know what I mean? Like it's, there's so many better mm. options. Cool. Um, the next card is service outage. It's another NBN card, another operation. This one's a current though. Costs one, influence one. This, uh, it's got the current text. As an additional cost to make the first run on his or her turn, even through a card ability, the runner must spend one. So we've got another taxing NBN card, similar to, I guess, Spark Agency and in, in that vein. Is this going to add to that critical mass? And are we going to see some Spark decks coming back? Or does this have some broader utility? Hollis, what do you think? Uh, I don't think... I I really think of, uh, you know, New Angeles Soul as the go-to um, uh, ID, primarily because of, you know, how how the currents can really benefit New Angeles Soul. But mm-hmm. I feel like the currents, like targeted marketing, maybe even another card we're, we're going to talk about soon, like a lot of the other currents that like Soul, Soul could play tend to be fairly high impact and they're really, really relevant to the current meta. Um, as a result, they may even be, uh, as a result, they're extremely like niche, I think. But they're good. They're very powerful cards. Um, service outage seems universally useful, but as a result, its power level, I think, is just a little lower, which is expected for a current, right? Most of the time, the cheap currents aren't going to really do a whole heck of a lot. But now, every time... No, no, it's not every time. It's the first run. And I think that's what makes it, like, hurt. If you look at, like, the way Waylon works, Waylon's current is, like, the, the Waylon games are credited every time. Housekeeping. Uh, no, uh, payroll oh, no, no, right, sure. Payroll implementation, yeah. Yeah. Paywall implementation costs zero, and basically it gains the corporate credit every time the runner makes a successful run. Whereas this card, it says, all right, very first run, even through run ability, lose one credit. I think that's taxing, but I don't think it's quite taxing enough. I feel like there's, for that same card slot, NBN has better options there. 
And when runner economies are faster and better than corp economies anyway, it doesn't feel like this is a particularly good trade of resources. What do you think, Luffy? Um, Yeah, I would kind of agree. I'm not really enamored with the sort of cards which give, especially in NBN, the cards which give the corp small incremental advantage, even if they are sticky and like hard to get rid of, just because it's very hard to get into a situation where even if you have whittled the runner's economy down to get into a situation where you can win the late game anyway. So mm. I don't really see this having a place. Um, I can think about it out of faction uh, if you really want to deal with sort of Desperado decks, but I'm not even sure if this deals with Desperado Temujin that well, just because it's, uh, like, as you guys said, it's not that's impactful oh, like i mm. i mean i said it earlier but i'm sure you know what i mean that yeah and it's only the first time yeah it's it's only the first time so it's hard to it's, it's hard to see a situation where this would be useful in implementing your game plan since either if you want to have the game go long you really really need to dedicate yourself to setting up a sort of remote which can score later rather than just whittling down the runner's resources especially in terms of credits um as a an aside if somebody can explain to me the difference between Wayland's color pie in gagarin and paywall implementation and nbn's color pie here that would be really helpful <laughs> um i think you might be waiting a while on that one cool uh the next card in the pack is boom it's, uh, oh, we might skip over this one. I don't think it's really relevant. <laughs> I mean, it's not going to see you play no, at all in the meta. Just kidding. Yeah, no. <laughs> it's a four-cost operation double black ops. Cost four, trash one, influence three. Play only if the runner has at least two tags. As an additional cost to play this operation, spend additional click, double. Do seven meat damage. What do we think? Hollis, do you, have you... Tried out Boom yet, or have you been on the receiving end of any missiles in your apartment? I, uh, luckily, luckily, uh, I have yet to be tagged. So if there's a missile in the air, it's not headed towards my damn apartment. Um, I really like this card. And I, while I haven't actually, uh, myself been playing with a lot of kill decks lately at all, um, I have played against them. And I will say that the, the careful navigating necessary to get around the potential tags. It's very annoying. It's um. It reminds you very much. I kind of almost felt like it reminded me of like a early core set, where you didn't really have a lot of great um, a lot of great meat damage protection. So you had to kind of just wait for the right cards. And I feel often with with my when my when my opponent is playing boom, I end up in that same sort of weird scenario. I want to run, and I want to be able to trash this. I want to get rid of it. But I also know that by running and the fact that you may use a lot of operation based decon, that they can burst very quickly. Hit me with the sea source, or not a sea source, but you know, like a hard hitting news or a, a mid season, and all of a sudden I have multiple tags and a very, very limited amount of time, in addition to a limited amount of resources in my deck to make sure that I don't lose the game immediately. Um, mm. That is the reason why um, decks that utilize Scorch and Boom and IDs like Argus, your personal favorite, Jesse, um, do so well is because the pressure on the runner side to make sure that cards are in play before they can run um before they can be aggressive gives you these really large windows 
to play the other half of the game. And even then, after they have the resources, um, like the Plast Screed or the, the, the Sports Hopper, you can play with the potential of you know doing more and more damage. Hey, do you have enough prevention? You ended your turn with three. Are you sure you want to end your turn with three? Because I have with with only one sports hopper. Is that really wise here? Those kinds of scenarios to me are what make, makes cards like Boom fantastic. And while two tags is very hard to land, I feel like especially with hard hitting news and mid season, it's definitely a lot easier than some people may be giving it credit for. Wilfie, what are your thoughts? Uh, so I think that. We've had a lot of time to think and talk about Boom now, since it was, I think, one of the first cards spoiled from this expansion. Um, mm. And it's sort of, it has me in two minds. One, I think it's really powerful, and it has the ability to lead to a lot of new sort of ways to build decks, just because it means that if you can keep in your hand until the ideal situation you can kill a runner in only one with on like you only need to dedicate one boom or one or two booms in your deck to have the ability to kill a runner who floats tags or realistically floats tags. Like sometimes you don't even need them to float tags if you can mid season boom them. But that um sort of adds a secondary win condition by itself, which doesn't nearly take as much resources as as many deck slots and deck building resources as scorch does but to compensate from for that it's a lot more fragile in that i'm sure we've all had games where where we've accessed the the where we've accessed a scorch in our hq or r&d one two three times and we're just waiting for our opponent to draw the second scorch and trying to race them before that happened and that especially happened you know, a lot throughout the course of Netrunner. Maybe not so much nowadays, but if you're old like me, then I'm sure you remember it well. <laughs> so those sort of things push against one another. One, that the runner, any runner accessing Boom can pay one to trash it and suddenly mm. your whole game plan unravels. Um, yeah. But it having the Boom in your hand really allows you to present a really compact threat to your opponent. So I'm not really... Yeah, I think there yeah. are there are four costs, really, to this card. Like, one is the trash cost, so it's a liability in your hand. It's hard to keep it in your hand. Uh, or you need to protect HQ really effectively, I guess is another way of thinking of it. The second one is the double, which I don't think can be underestimated when it in combination with the other requirements. Um, the next one is two tags being required. And I think... Those three um, costs together, the fact that they have to have, you have to tag them twice and have an extra click to play this and it's trashable in your hand means that you really want to be doing it on the turn you tag them. Otherwise, they can run HQ and try and get at this. Um, or you have to use something like consulting visit with it to fetch it from your deck. Uh, so that it, all of those things, I guess what I'm saying is they do limit the flexibility of this and they mean that as the person playing it and as the corp, you have to be a lot more careful with constructing how you kill than you did when you just had Seesaw, Scorch, Scorch, and you just had to wait she drew those three cards and then just do it. Um, the last cost is the four, and like the four to play doesn't seem like that much, particularly when two Scorched Earth cost six together, but it is quite a lot in combination, again, with the others, when you have to pay not only for one tag but for two. Um, you have to have the extra spare click to play the double, um, 
and you have to have protected it in your hand as well. I, I just think that I found testing this card that finding a situation where you can effectively pay all of those costs, if you look at them that way, is a lot harder to manufacture than it might seem. And I think that's what you were sort of getting at as well with it, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, so it's very powerful, but it has a lot of issues in actual play, I think, like that aren't immediately apparent when you look at it. Because all these costs yeah. sort of work together to make it to make the barrier of actually utilizing this card to good effect harder and harder. Yep. Any final thoughts on Boom Hollis? Um Boom Shakalaka. Done. Yeah. Yeah, well said. Boom boom. Sorry. The next card in the pack is not nearly as powerful, interesting, or good. It's called Door to Door. It's an operation current black ops. Three cost, three for a current is a lot, so it better be good. It's got the current text, then it says, when the runner's turn begins, trace one. If successful, do one meat damage if the runner is tagged. Otherwise, give the runner one tag. Wilfie, can you think of a situation where this is good? I can think of one. Can you think of one? Uh, okay, yeah, I can think of one. How about when your opponent has a crippling fear of doors and they sort of, they <laughs> climbed into the tournament through the window? And I'm not saying that we should exploit that, you know. It's if your opponent is genuinely like that, I feel like you have a responsibility to be, to deal with that appropriately. But if you're in the finals of worlds and that's your opponent, I would give you my blessing to buy every copy of Escalation that you could and sort of maybe, it, while they're not looking, replace the deck with uh, 49 copies of Door to Door. Do you just admit to having a fear of doors, Wolfie? No, no. He was saying that that... Oh, did, did you just admit to that? There's no way of knowing. Uh-huh. Oh, I mean, if you uh -huh. tr definitely try it against me. If you want to play Door-to-Door -door against me, I will accept it. <laughs> um, anyway, Jesse, what was your idea oh yeah my my scenario was your opponent has no credits um you've done you've got enough meat damage cards in your hand so you've got a, a scorched earth and a traffic accident and they've got um six meat damage protection or, or more more realistically say you've got a boom in hand and they've got four cards in hand and a sports hopper so they use their sports hopper when they get tagged you boom them down to zero cards they've got no credits and no link um, and they, you pass the turn and then they take a meat damage because they're tagged and they die. Okay. That's the situation. Alrighty. Right. Well, so it's like the, the extra meat damage on those turns where you're one short. Right. So but let's you need you to be able to win another trace. Sort of save up meat damage, kind of like, uh, bioethics lets you save up net yes. damage. Right. But you have yeah. to win a trace and those two things are like, can't go together. No, they need to be both tagged. Um, so you need to have done the tag, then done your other meat damage, which usually requires them to be tagged, so that's fine. But then you need to win another trace at the start of their turn, um, which is generally pretty hard to do. So if you see it as that extra clickless meat damage, I guess it can have a place, but at three to play and having to have been in play for a whole other turn before that, because there's no way you're going to have the click to do that on the turn when you're doing your other meat damage, that it's going to click to play this. It's already got that drawback. Like, it's a heavy investment. It's going to stop you from being able to 
land your tags to use your other meat damage cards because three is a lot to pay. Uh, it's got the current drawback when in that when you pass the turn, then in the intervening runner turn, they can get rid of it by playing their own current or stealing an agenda. Um, and then you still need to win another trace to do your clickless meat damage the turn after you've used your meat damage cards. So I don't really think that even in that one situation where I see it being potentially useful, it's either very likely to come off or um, very resilient to the runner interacting with it and getting rid of it. Oh, on an unrelated note, does anyone have know any routes to the FFG warehouse that don't require going through any doors? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, there's really no way of knowing. But uh, on the sort of normal mode of this card, if you just play it as an extra tax, Hollis, do you think it's got any legs? If I just play it as extra tax, I don't know. I don't think so. I think... At, at a trace one where there's, you know, I think half the runners you encounter might end up having a link. I don't think it's, at that point, it's, you're, you're talking about a trace that's only there half the time. You'd have to constantly throw money into it. That's neat, but you'd have to, like like you said, Jesse, you'd have to basically, if, if this tag is that important to you, you kind of have to have the kill in hand. And I don't think just having it as a tax is really where you want to be. If, like, if all you care about is tax and runner, just pay paywall implementation. So that way, yeah, that way, and they have to not be able to remove the tag efficiently. Yeah. also, which seems like a lot to ask because right. it comes at the start of their turn, which is the worst time to be giving someone. Yeah, a tag. I don't, I don't, I just don't like that. Like, I, I think I'd rather like if what I care about is the if I'm trying to number one, if I'm trying to kill my opponent, like what I care about is like the difference in credits there, right? Like the credit gap is just as important as the tax you would get, arguably, because if they're at low credits, you're going to beat them on the trace for the tag. If they're if you always gain money, you're only increasing that ability for you to tag them and to me it's similar in that regard i mean i would rather just pay, pay if that's what i'm worried about i would rather just pay paywall limitation and then while they're trying to be aggressive i'm getting money also or something like that or i would play the new nbn current that is one influence that taxes them the first time their turn begins when they make a run including a run event that's funny because that exactly that's exactly pretty much what this would be doing um but I mean, the the the, the yeah. tag is just. But it doesn't require you to win a trace, right? Yeah, yeah. like the the. And it costs two less. No. no, yeah, I don't really like this. This to me, what would make it ridiculous is if this was the Waylon ability to finally tag my opponent. When I first read this card, that's what I actually thought it was. I misread it. I thought, oh, when my turn begins, I was like, if this happens on my turn, that would be sick, because now I can throw all mm. my money into this, and I have three clicks to just give the runner a tag. I can spend all my money and give the runner a tag. Uh, obviously, it's obvious why that's ridiculously powerful. Um, but it's also ridiculously much, much weaker uh, if it happens on the runner's turn. So I just, I just don't. No thanks. No thank you. I'll, I'll stick with housekeeping and paywall. Thanks. Cool. The final card in the pack is another current. It's neutral, however, and it's called yeah. Scarcity of Resources. It's an operation current, cost one, influence zero. This card is not trashed until another current is played or an agenda is stolen. The install cost of each resource is increased by two. Install cost of resource increased by two. Each one. Wilfie, what do you think of this? Is it going to be triggering enough? Is, is it the problem that you need to draw it in the right order for it to really be effective? How many triggers do you think this is likely to have in your average game of Netrunner and how impactful is it going to be? Yeah, I think those are all reasonable questions to ask. Like, there are quite a few resources that are seeing play at the moment and 
making them cost two is often the break point. Often, not always, but often the break point between making them very efficient and sort of mediocrely efficient. Um, sort of on the borderline of worth installing to not worth installing. So, I think this card does have some potential, but there's a couple issues with it. One, I think runner currents are fairly powerful at the moment between room mill and employee strike. So, the situation where you play this and you know, they flounder about not being able to install their resources the whole game is fairly unlikely. What's more likely is that it might, it'll probably be relevant for a couple of turns, but when they do want to install their resources, they can probably find a current to overwrite yours. Um, and you can say, play it in Sol, but I think the issue with that is that Sol's main benefit is to basically always have a current active and have that current active regardless of what else is going on in the game. And I think that's why target marketing and paywall implementation are so good because they're both abilities that you can build your deck around having access to and have having them be very powerful in um, soul decks. And this, so I think the difference between one and zero there is really large just because you really, if you're, if you have that sort of strategy, you don't want to have to spend one credit each time to reinstall the current. You sort of just want it to be always there. Um, mm. And so, yeah, I think the difference between one and zero there is a lot larger than it might seem to begin with. But I think this card does have potential. It's just a little um, difficult to see where a current which doesn't necessarily help the corp immediately, like s- sort of cost one and might have, does have an impact on the game, but might not have a huge one on every every single runner is where that really fits. Mm. Interesting. Hollis, do you have any thoughts on this one? Yeah, I mean, I I, I agree with Wilfie very much. I mean, I, I think it will see play. I think that um, the guard has fairly good potential. It's just a matter of, you know, when, when you do compare it to Soul, you know, the difference of zero to one where the card's basically playable, it, it's a, you know, play it, forget it, you know, sort of deal. I, I play this, I name, I name a card, it's up to you whether or not I gain the money. But either way, I'm sort of stifling your development. Scarcity, d- scarcity of resources has the potential to do the same, I think. Um, but in a, in, a, in a different way, obviously, I mean, I, I kind of feel like cards like uh, daily, uh, daily Cast probably become not playable, right? I, I, don't, I don't think you play Daily Cast when scarcity of resources is out. The same way I don't think you play liberated accounts even. That's 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 even a hard call. I think like the the biggest most important one right now, right, Temujin, I think that's still playable. I think if you if you see scarcity of resources out, mm. you're still gonna end up playing a Temujin. You might consider um if you're a criminal, you might consider just career fairing it. Um, but I think Temujin gets played regardless of whether or not scarcity of resources is out. And maybe that's good enough. Maybe having a current that um makes the runners second guess about the economy that they're the the economy engines they're using to to uh, work throughout the game uh taxing that is a really big deal i feel like most of the decks i'm seeing that aren't like nexus kate are basically most of the runner decks i'm seeing are nexus kate are basically running uh temujin daily cast and uh and liberated uh and maybe i mean maybe even like even if you look at stealth they're running they're Ghost Runner. They're running Ghost Runner. They're um, I don't really see Proko used anymore. But you look at cards like Beth Kill Rang Chang, 
all those cars. Netmerker. Netmerker even. Yeah, five credits for Netmerker. Like it's it definitely makes that decision a lot harder. And I think that while those cards still may be played, the question is, are you getting the same benefit? And is I mean, does it make just good sense to play them? And it, scarcity making them ask that question is probably very good. Yeah, this seems like a card that will be really good on turn one or two. Like if you have this in your opening hand as the cop, <clears throat> it can really skew the way the runner develops their game plan. Yeah. And that's pretty massive. Like, Hard, um, sorry, controlling the message effectively does that. We've talked about it, a, a way of thinking about controlling the message, Wilfie and I, and I think we've talked about it on the show as being like an ice. It's a really, really good piece of ice that you have in play from the start of the game that taxes your opponent. Having a card like this, if you can have this on turn one, is just like having another piece of ice, right? Mm-hmm. Like every time your opponent wants to be developing their board in a way that is relevant to a lot of runner economies, um, it's going to cost them more credits. And that's really what ice does for you. It does it during the run instead of straight up front, but it does the same thing. So yeah, I certainly see this for one cast on the, on the first few turns, particularly turn one as being a really effective um, piece of economy war. Uh, sorry, a really effective weapon in the economy war, yeah. I guess, for corpse. Uh, the the problem for me is that once you get beyond that and into the mid game, when there are already maybe two resources, for, even for like if you if you take the distribution curve of resources across all runner decks, some are going to re- rely on none, and obviously this card's not very good against those decks anyway, which is already a strike against it. But there are a lot of decks that are going to rely on having one or two key resources in play, and they're not really need to play anymore. So decks that rely on Proco, perhaps not so much anymore, but Netmerker, um, and maybe one Ghost Runner. And if they've got those two resources in play already, they're not going to really need to play anymore. Yeah. Um, and at that point, scarcity of resources is not doing a lot. Then, of course, you've got decks that rely on playing resources steadily throughout the game. They're also playing in daily cast Temujin, things like that, Liberated. This really does help against those cards later in the game. But I think, the, as you identified, Hollis, the problem that Temujin is still probably good enough, even through scarcity of resources, is still a little bit problematic. But then again, taxing them two for every Temujin contract they play is better than taxing them none. Right. So those sorts of decks are definitely the best case scenario for playing it later in the game. And there are probably enough decks around, to be honest, that are playing daily cast Liberated and Temujin in the mid and late game to make this okay. Um, and if you combine that with the power on turn one of really stymieing their economy development, I think it, it is definitely playable and it could actually be quite good. I, and I, I want to piggyback off something that you, you, you actually made me think about this, Jesse. We're, we're in a meta that's very tag heavy where... Um, in CTM and also in like you know I hate to say it but in Wayland where they want to make sure that there's a credit like a fairly large credit difference to take advantage of their tools to tax you and tag you and as a result do all the best uh, the nad the wow the bad nasty stuff to you like um observe and destroy oh uh, um this card yep. helps in, makes that credit gap further I think in the beginning of the game which is pretty big right i mean as you said it, ctm if ctm counts as a strong piece of ice that's always in play having a card like this making that issue you know making that gap go grow further and further and fur, further it makes things a little awkward I, I i i think that that's a weird that's an interesting space to investigate where you can tax the runner really before they start getting the economy necessary 
And now that they have spent the money into the economy, what windows does that open up? Because they have to, they had to slow down. I, I really want to. I'm, a, I'm actually very interested now after saying that to play with this card more. I think. Hmm. And to use it as part of an overall suite, I think would be. Interesting. Yeah, I think so. All right, uh, that brings us to the end of Escalation. We hope you've enjoyed our pack review across the last two episodes. We've certainly enjoyed bringing it to you. Uh, I've been Jesse Marshall here with Holoseco and Wilfred E. Horrig for The Winning Agenda. If you want to get in touch with us, you can check us out on Facebook at The Winning Agenda. You can tweet us at Winning Agenda. You can email us at thewinningagenda at gmail.com. And if you want to throw a few shekels our way and support the work that we're doing, you can head along to www.patreon.com slash the winning agenda and subscribe at a tier that suits you. Uh, Thank you all for listening and we'll see you next week. See you guys. Bye. Thanks for listening.